0: We're so grateful to you for this time that we're able to open up your word. Father, I pray that at this time you might open the spiritual eyes of your people to see wonderful things from your word. Give us soft and tender hearts, teachable hearts, that we might learn and that we might not only hear your word, but also deliberately and purposefully apply it for the exaltation of your son. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll open your Bibles to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. Verses 16 and 17 is our passage for this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. And the title of this morning's message is Get in the Word. Get in the Word. Some of you are familiar with William Tyndale. William Tyndale lived from 1494 through 1536. And Tyndale longed so much for the people of England to be able to read the Bible for themselves, that he spent most of his life translating most of the Word of God and writing many commentaries about the Word of God. Sadly, Tindell wasn't able to finish all of the Bible. He finished all of the New Testament and most of the Old Testament, but he was arrested by the leaders of the Roman Catholic Church at the time and put into a small, filthy prison cell. But that didn't stop him. Even in prison... Tyndale was a faithful man of God. He shared the gospel with many of the prisoners. So impressed were they by Tyndale's testimony that one of the prisoners said, if this man is not a good Christian, we don't know what's good anymore. Such was his powerful testimony even in prison. And even there, while in prison, he was a man devoted to the study of the Scriptures. In fact, there's a letter preserved by historians where Tyndale begged the head of the prison for warmer clothing, and that he be allowed to use his Hebrew Bible, his grammar, and a dictionary for study. Well, after 500 days or so of imprisonment, Tindo was condemned. Executioners bound him to the stake, strangled him with the chain tied around his neck, and burned his body to ashes. Tindo was 42 years old when he was executed. But though dead, his work lived on. By the time of his death, Tyndale, as I mentioned, had translated all of the New Testament and about half of the Old Testament, and all of his work was put into an English Bible called the Great Bible of 1539. Later on, King Henry of England ordered that every church in England have a copy of this Bible, and so several editions of the Bible were uh, circulated all over England. How significant was Tyndale's translation work of the Bible? Later on, the translators of the King James Bible of 1611 leaned heavily on Tyndale's work. In fact, on more than 75% of Tyndale's work. The Lord greatly used this humble servant of His to do great things, to put the Bible into the hands of the English people. And the question that I would pose for us today is this. Why? Why would Tyndale give his life to the task of Bible translation even to the point where he was willing to die such a gruesome death for this particular goal? And the answer is that Tyndale understood the vital importance of putting the Bible into the hand of the common people. Tyndale could not live, brothers and sisters... He could not live with the fact that people didn't have the opportunity to read the Bible, understand the Bible, and apply the Bible for themselves. He could not live with that. And I share this with you as a reminder of the sweat, the tears, and the blood that has been spilt over the years to preserve the Bible for us who are here today. And yet how little some of us value it. How little some of us are devoted to studying the Bible. How little do we cherish and treasure the Word of God. I saw a sad video the other day. In fact, an ironic um, kind of moment as I saw this video of people, maybe you saw it, it went viral, where people were burning Bibles, many, many Bibles. And this thing, this video went viral, and people, of course, were cheering, and I saw some of the comments of people's blasphemous statements against the Bible as they burned the Bible. And I thought, how sad and how ironic that they are burning the Bibles in fire, the very fire that they can escape if they would go to the Word of God and find the hope of the Gospel in the Bible. How ironic and how sad. And this is the wretched world in which we live right now, where people don't value the bible and this is what i want us to consider this morning this the vital importance of the word of god for us the vital importance of being people of the book people of the bible from second timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17 look there with me as i read it all scripture is inspired by god and profitable for teaching for reproof for correction for training in righteousness so that the man of God or woman of God may be adequate equipped for every good work this is one of the most powerful passages on the authority and the sufficiency of the bible sufficiency meaning that the bible is enough for everything for faith and practice for us one of the most powerful passages on the scriptures one of the most precious passages reminding us of the rich treasure of the Word of God that we have in our hands. And as Paul finds himself in jail here, church history would tell us that he would soon be put to death. This is his second Roman imprisonment. Soon he's going to be put to death. But before that, he writes Second Timothy to his child in the faith, Timothy, a young pastor in a, in a central city of Ephesus, He writes to him to remind Timothy of the importance of holding fast to his heritage. Of holding fast to the treasure that has been imparted to him from a very early age. The treasure of the holy scriptures. Paul wanted Timothy to be a man of the word in the midst of a wicked world. Paul wanted Timothy to be a man of the book. Paul wanted Timothy to hold on to the truth that had been passed on to him. And brothers and sisters, I want to remind us this morning, I want this to be a call to all of us, to each and every one of us, that this is the greatest need of the hour for us who are here today. That you and I would be people of the book, people of the Bible, people who are saturated in Holy Scripture. Kids, this is pertinent for you. That as your mommy and daddy teach you about Jesus and teach you about the greatness of God and teach you about the fact that Jesus went to the cross to die for your sins, that you hold on to this beautiful truth that your mommy and daddy are passing on to you. The precious treasure of the Bible, the Word of God. This is pertinent for you young people. Because you are being... You are being um, completely bombarded right now with ideological fortresses in this world and you're either going to be shaped by the world and informed by the world's thinking or you are going to be shaped by the word of god there's no neutrality you're either being shaped by scripture or you're being molded and fashioned according to the world system around us this is pertinent for us who are married for our marriages The greatest thing that you can do as a husband or as a wife is to be a spouse that abides in the Word of Christ. The greatest thing that you can do for your children right now, if you are married with kids in the home or outside of the home, is to be saturated by Scripture so that that may shape and inform you pointing your your kids to Jesus Christ, young or older. The greatest thing that we can do as older saints and you're especially for you who are older, who are quarantined, who, are, uh, who are, have, are not able to be around the fellowship of the saints physically as you'd like to be, is for you older saints to be people of the book, people who are saturated by the Holy Scriptures. This is the need for all Christians. And may I say, this is the need for those of you who are non-Christians. For those of you who have not given your life to the Lord Jesus Christ. Because it's the Bible, the Word of God, that contains the message of the gospel, the good news that even though you are a sinner who is guilty and condemned before your holy and righteous Creator, God, because of His great love and mercy and compassion, sent Jesus, His only begotten Son, into the world that He might die for sinners on the cross, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. What a need! For you who have not given your life to Christ to get into the scriptures and to read the Bible for yourself. That you might be confronted with the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Bible is a great treasure. And that's what I want us to be reminded of this morning. Why we should get into the word of God. Why we should be people of the word. And so from this passage, I simply want us to see three reasons. Three reasons why We should study the Bible. Three reasons why we should study the Bible. First, I want to remind us that we should study the Bible for proper worship. We should study the Bible for proper worship. We have been saved by the grace of God through Jesus Christ so that we would no longer worship ourselves but worship God. And one of the reasons... God has given us his word is so that we might worship him accurately as he is revealed in his word. And so he's given us scripture, scripture that reveals who he is. Notice verse 16 with me. All scripture is inspired by God. Boy, that is a loaded statement right there. All scripture is inspired by by God. All Scripture, specifically at the time Paul was specifically referring to the Old Testament Hebrew Scriptures, but we know that all of the New Testament as well is the Word of God. For example, in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 15 and 16, Peter refers to Paul's writings as Holy Scripture and the rest of the Scriptures, Peter says. And in 2nd Peter chapter 1 and verse 20, it says there that no prophecy of scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation, but men moved superintended by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. All of scripture is from God. And that's the key, uh, the key point that I want to make from here. Where scripture comes from. That scripture is not the invention of men. Scripture does not originate in the thought of men. Scripture was not concocted by human beings, but scriptures—the scriptures—are the very word of God. They are literally inspired by God, meaning God breathed. Now, that word "they're inspired" is a bit misleading in the New American Standard, if you have that translation, because it kind of gives a sense of a of a breathing in. Right? We might say something like, "You know, that action by that person or those words really inspired me," and then kind of, you kind of breathe in, right? They inspired you with their words or their actions or their heroic whatever. But the word they're inspired is made up of two words that actually have the sense of expired, expired. As the ESV puts it, all scripture is breathed out by God. It's breathed out by God. In other words, the scriptures come from God. They originate from him. He is the source of divine scripture. In Matthew chapter 4 and verse 4. At his temptation. At his temptation, our Lord Jesus said to Satan, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word, here it is, that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That was a a quotation from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. So though God chose to use human instruments to pin down Holy Scripture, Ultimately, the scriptures come from God and men superintended by the Holy Spirit pen down exactly what God wanted them to record so that what we have on the pages of our Bibles is the very word of the living God. Isn't that awesome? How blessed and privileged people we are, aren't we? That the God of the universe has revealed himself to us. Scripture comes from Him. This is what is known as the the doctrine of inspiration. That the Scriptures come from God. And because the Scriptures come from God, we can rest assured of a few wonderful, assuring truths that should motivate our affections, brothers and sisters, towards the act of getting into the Word. For example, because God inspired His Word, that means that the Bible is inerrant. The Bible is inerrant. It cannot be proven false. The word of God cannot be mistaken ever. It is perfect. It is flawless. It means also that the Bible is infallible. Infallible. That means that it's incapable of teaching deception. It is not able to teach us falsehood. The scriptures never lie to us. The world system around us and our world is full of lies and deception. God will never lie to you in His Word. He cannot lie. This means also that the Bible is absolutely reliable. The Bible is is as dependable and trustworthy as the God who gave it. Just jot down some of these verses. Psalm 12 and verse 6. The words of the Lord are Pure words. As silver tried in a furnace on the earth, refined seven times. As precious metals in ancient times went through this refining process, including silver. And this, these metals would go through this refining process and would be proven to be authentic. That is the picture. The Word of God has passed the test of time. It will never lie to you. It is reliable. It is trustworthy. It is rock solid. It is authentic. Psalm 18 and verse 30 says this, As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried. He is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. The word of God is so dependable, so trustworthy, so reliable that you can find protection from the missiles of the evil one. And 2 Samuel 22 and verse 31. As for God... His way is blameless. The word of the Lord is tested. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. These and many other verses, brothers and sisters, equate the the reliability and the trustworthiness of God's word with God's very person, his very character. As God is perfect, so His Word is perfect. As God is trustworthy, so His Word is trustworthy. As God is dependable and reliable, so His Word is dependable and reliable. You can bank on the Word of God. You can be assured, absolutely assured and confident in the reliability and trustworthiness of the Word of God. Amen? Oh, some of us who have walked with the Lord for many years can, can attest to this, right? The Lord has never let me down. His word has always been truth in my heart. Amen. I've experienced that in the midst of trials and tests. He's never let me down. His word has never lied to me. Also, because the Bible comes from God, it's absolutely authoritative. That the Bible has absolute authority means that the that the scripture is the final word. It's the final word. Because when Scripture speaks, God speaks. God speaks. That's very counterculture to say, isn't it? We're living in an anti-authority culture. People don't want to be accountable. People want to be autonomous. But if the Bible is the Word of God, then it's final and it's binding upon every single one of God's creatures on this earth. This is why Paul, if you notice with me, in chapter 4, verse 1, says this to Timothy. I solemnly charge you, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Why? Why was Timothy to do this? And why must we preach the word today? And why must we share the word and get into the word? Verse three, for the time when it will come, when they will not endure sound doctrine, but wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers in accordance to their own desires and will turn away their ears from the truth and will turn aside to myths But you, Timothy, be sober in all things, endure hardship, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Oh, Paul says to Timothy, oh, Timothy, there's going to come a time when people will not want to hear the truth. When people will twist the truth to meet their own ends and their own purposes and their own goal. When people, there will be no objective, absolute truth, Timothy. You continue to preach the objective truth outside of yourself, no matter what circumstances or the times it is objective outside. It is true no matter who says that it isn't true. You continue to preach the word, he says to him. Doesn't that sound like our time? What he described there? A time when people don't want to hear the truth anymore, when each person does what is right in his or her own eyes. This is the world That we're living in right now. Now most importantly. I want want us to ask ourselves the question. Why did God give us his word? What is the ultimate purpose. For which God gave us his word? And the answer is. To know and worship him right? To know and to worship him. The scriptures reveal who God is. That we might worship him as he is. In the scriptures, we get to know our amazing creator and his majesty and his character and his attributes, his splendor, his holiness, his justice, his righteousness, his wrath, his jealousy, his love and his mercy, his compassion and his grace, his sovereign control over all things, his power and authority over everything, his infinite wisdom and unlimited knowledge. We get to know who he is. That no one compares to Him. Why is it important to know God through His Word? Because we must worship Him as He is, properly as He is, and not create a God of our own imagination, not commit the sin of idolatry, by creating a God who is deficient, who is not the God of the Bible. But it's also in the Scriptures that not only do we come to know God but we come to know God's great plan to redeem sinners through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is in His Word that we find the the greatest message of the Gospel, of the good news of the Lord Jesus Christ, a free salvation of our sins and God's judgment through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So that any sinner, even if you're here this morning, no matter what sins you've committed internally, Or outward, you can be forgiven today by faith in Jesus Christ. Because Christ died on the cross and paid for your sins and took upon himself the wrath of God for your sins, you, by faith in Jesus, can actually be made right with God today. It's the Bible that contains this wonderful message of hope. This is why we need to get into the Word. And it's in the Scripture that we learn of His plan for the future, right? Which is so pertinent, brothers and sisters, for us today in the face of everything that we're seeing in our country and in our world, that there is hope beyond this present world, right? It's in the Scriptures where we come and we're reminded of the promises of God for those of us who are in Christ Jesus, of comfort and encouragement that comes because of the cross of Christ for us. How important it is to be people of the Word Because this world is not going to get any better, right? I hope you're not disappointed by that statement. How many of you are disappointed because you were thinking things were going to get better? Thankfully, right? None of us were seeing things spiral downward. People are becoming more anti-God. And so we need to be people of the Word to be reminded of the promises of God, no matter what happens to this world. That there's a new heavens and a new earth that is our hope because of Jesus Christ. Amen? I need to be reminded of that. I wonder how many of us study the Bible to know and worship God. Listen, don't just read the Bible in order to clock in your day's worth of religion. Don't just read the Bible to check off your reading, like checking off a box every day. Don't just read the Bible to get through the routine. In in a passive sort sort of apathetic way, just go through the motions every single day in a heartless kind of way without really meeting with God. Seeing God on the pages of His Word. Read the Bible to get to know a person. Study the Scriptures to get to know God. To be confronted with God. To be much with Jesus in secret prayer and through His Word. Study the word like a precious love letter from a precious friend that has sent you that letter. How would you read a letter from a precious friend? You would examine every single word, every single transition, every single sentence, every single phrase, every single paragraph, every single nuance to understand why they put things in the way that they put things. Right? But it isn't just because you're studying linguistics. It's not just because you want to study their language and their amazing ability to write. It's because of the person behind those words, right? Study the Bible like a love letter from your heavenly father, Christian. Because that's really what it is for us. See, beloved, Christianity is not some dead, lifeless religion. Christianity is not moralism. Simply living by some code of ethics, devoid of heart, affections for God. It's far from that. Christianity is about a living, vibrant relationship with the God of the universe who created you for His glory and for His enjoyment through Jesus Christ. It's about a relationship with Him. A vital relationship with Him. And this is eternal life. John 17, 3, and this is eternal life, that they might know you, the one true God and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. So are the words of our Lord Jesus. That's what it's all about. Entering into a a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul in Philippians 3, 10, boiled his Christian life down to this, that I might know him. That I might know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being conformed to His death. That I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That I might know Him. Paul says it's all about knowing Jesus. And I count everything else as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. It's all about knowing Him. It's all about our relationship with Him. Is that what it's about for you? You want to know God through Jesus Christ? So that you might properly worship Him? I mean, just ponder that for a moment. I want you to savor that for a moment. That the God of the universe created you and I to have a relationship with Him. (laughs) He doesn't need us, but He wants us. We don't meet some need in God, He is self sufficient. He doesn't need anybody. But he wants a relationship with us. He made us. He put us into this world, gave us his creation to enjoy and to rule over. And most importantly, he gave us his word that we might know him and properly worship him. We're blessed people. And so, brother and sister, the next time you read your Bible, ask, what does this passage tell me about God? What do I learn here as far as God's attributes, his character qualities, his majesty, his glory? What can I learn here about God that I can praise him for and worship him for? What can I learn about this one who is so captivating? I love what J.I. Packer says about this quote. Study to know, sure, for there can be no spiritual health without doctrinal knowledge. Understanding must always be the foundation of feeling in the human heart. Otherwise, you can have baseless emotionalism. But understanding that does not give rise to feeling for God becomes intellectualism and deadness. So don't just study for knowledge, but study for worship, end quote. That sums it up right there, right? Kind of what Pastor Carnes was reminding us of last last week. We need to have a passionate love for the Lord, a fervent love for the Lord. And if we don't have it, we need to be praying, God, give me a greater fervency and passion for you so that I may impact other people, not only my brothers and sisters, but non-believers, to display the gospel before them. Study the Bible for proper worship. Secondly, study the Bible for personal holiness. Study the Bible for personal holiness listen I pray that your greatest desire is to be like Christ I pray that you want to be like Jesus and if so then realize that it's only as we behold God through the pages of his word that we will progressively become like him I love second second Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18 which says this but we all Christians with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image, the glory of the Lord, from glory to glory. In other words, as you continue to behold the glory of God, His majesty, His attributes, His character, then you will become more and more like Him progressively. You see, we become what we behold. We become what we behold. If what we behold is our unrepentant sin, if what we behold is the evil world system around us, then you can be sure that you will become like the world. You will be fashioned according to the world. There's no neutrality. But if you behold God through the pages of his word, you will become more and more like him. And this is what this wonderful verse reminds us of here in verse 16. Look at look there with me. All scripture is inspired by God. And profitable. Profitable means useful, helpful, beneficial. You know why you should study the scriptures? Because it's good for you. Because it's beneficial for you. Like our moms that used to tell us, eat your veggies, little campus. Eat your veggies. And what do we hear from our kids? Why, mom? Why, dad? Because it's what? Good for you. It's good for you. That's the idea here. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable, useful, helpful, beneficial for what? Four things. Notice in verse 16, it's beneficial or useful or good for teaching, for teaching. It's good for imparting doctrine, for feeding you healthy teaching, for feeding you healthy spiritual food. There's a wonderful parallel for us as humans here, right? That like human beings who need healthy physical food to be able to develop well, so Christians need sound, healthy teaching in order for us to grow and mature into Christ-likeness. We cannot do without sound doctrine, without sound teaching, without healthy spiritual food. We need the Word of God in order to be able to grow and mature. It's the primary means of grace, the Word and prayer. For us to be able to mature into Christ-likeness. You don't withhold physical food from your body, do you? Especially good kinds of food, hopefully. You don't starve yourself physically and expect to, to develop well as a human being. And yet, many of us, many of us perhaps this morning, you are starving yourselves by not getting into the Word. Not exposing yourself personally to Scripture Going to the scriptures, yourself reading and meditating and memorizing on the scriptures and applying the scriptures to your life. Sitting under teaching. You don't prioritize regular diet of Holy Scripture. You're starving yourself. You're starving yourself. Notice, secondly, in verse 16, the scriptures are beneficial or good for reproof. For reproof. When we study the Bible, Our sinful thinking, our sinful attitudes, sinful motives, sinful intentions, sinful priorities, sinful goals, sinful conduct, sinful words are exposed. That's why we need to go to the word of God. Otherwise, we are not going to have an accurate picture of ourselves, not assess ourselves rightly if we are not going to the mirror of the word that exposes our hearts. The word of God searches the soul the word of God searches the inner recesses of the heart places that no one can go there except God can go there through his word listen to Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12 for the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as a division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. You see, God's word is like a divine x-ray machine, isn't it? A divine x-ray machine that exposes what's in our hearts. That exposes our very sin. Those things that nobody else can see, but God can see them through his word. As his Holy Spirit applies the truth to our hearts and lives. We cannot hide from the truth of the word of God. This is why Martin Luther once said, the Bible is alive. It speaks to me. It has feet. It runs after me. It has hands. It lays hold of me. That's a great picture, isn't it? We cannot escape from the word of God. We might be able to hide things from our spouses. We might be able to hide things from our friends. We might be able to hide things from our brothers and sisters in Christ. We might be able to hide things from our parents. But God will expose us through his word. There is nothing hidden from his sight. Absolutely nothing. Notice in verse 16, third, the scriptures are beneficial for correction, for correction, Beautiful word there, the word correction. The word carries the idea of, of rebuilding, of restoring something that has been broken. That's the picture. You see, the Bible doesn't just do surgery on us, cutting us and exposing what's in our hearts so that we see our sin, but it also heals and mends and restores us when we, by the Holy Spirit, repent of that sin, confess it to the Lord, and are renewed in the Spirit again. It's a healing ministry that the Word of God has in our hearts and lives as believers. It restores us. Psalm 19.7, the law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. Psalm 19.7, God is like a divine doctor, like a kind, good doctor who wants to, to heal us so that we are brought back to full usefulness, full effectiveness. And that's what the Word of God does. Yes, it cuts, but it also heals when we respond to it in obedience, right? Notice the fourth benefit in verse 16. It tells us that the Scriptures are beneficial or good for training in righteousness. So think about this. We are taught the Word, sit under the teaching of the Word of God. We are exposed by the Word, reproved by the Word. Then we're restored by the Word. Why? So that we are trained in righteousness. God's word is like a master discipler that disciplines us and trains us so that we walk in righteousness. That Christ-like conduct that God wants from us, that God requires of us. And don't forget the distinction. We are positionally righteous in Christ. Our standing is secure in Christ because of what Christ has done. But practically, we are to be devoted now as the outflow of our justification, the outflow of our redemption in Christ. And to doing what is right for the glory of God. We are to be devoted to righteousness, to doing what is right before the Lord. Now, hear me. All of this doesn't just happen. It doesn't just happen. The Christian life is not some let go and let God endeavor. Growing in righteousness requires our maximum effort fueled by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, right? This is why elsewhere in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 7, Paul wrote to Timothy these words, But have nothing to do, Timothy, with worldly fables fit only for old women. On the other hand... Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Timothy, you want to be like Christ? It's going to take some hard work. Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. Discipline. Gumnazo, from which we get gymnasium. We know what happens in a gym, right? What happens in a gymnasium? There's rigorous exercise, tearing of muscles, sweat, hard work. Only hard work will lead to physical results in a gymnasium, right? That's the picture. Christian, you want to grow and mature to be more and more like Jesus? It's going to take work by the grace of God and in the power of the Spirit of God. That's why those commandments are there, because God has given us the divine energy, the Spirit of God who empowers us to be able to do this. Apart from that, there wouldn't be commands for us to obey because we don't have the power to obey. But as Christians, we do. He is called the Holy Spirit, right? Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. If we want to grow and mature in holiness, brothers and sisters, then we must be willing to put in the work by God's grace. And this is always a two-front battle, isn't it? On the one hand, we must aggressively, by the power of the Spirit of God, lay aside those sins that hold us back from becoming like Jesus. But then don't forget about the positive side. Put aside sin, but pursue God through His Word by studying it, applying it to your life. Put aside sin, pursue God through His Word. It's a two-front battle. In our sanctification, this ongoing process of becoming more and more like Jesus. Our sanctification. See, some people wonder for years. What wonder for years? Why am I this way? Why is it that I don't grow very much? In fact, even going deeper, why don't I either? I don't even have a desire to grow in Christ Jesus. There's a pattern in my life, though I made some profession of faith in the past, where I'm not pursuing Jesus and I don't even desire to. And to you, I would say this Are you saved? Are you really, truly saved? Have you come to truly see yourself as a sinner who's offended a holy and righteous God, that you are guilty and condemned before Him, that you haven't lived out your purpose of living for His glory, of enjoying Him, of loving Him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength? Have you come to grips with that truly from your heart? And have you acknowledged your sin to Him? Have you confessed to Him that you are a sinner? And most importantly have you come to see that Jesus came to die on the cross and pay for sin so that you put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ excuse me the Lord Jesus Christ are you truly saved have you been saved and rescued from the wrath of God through faith in Jesus Christ have you been saved from the penalty of your sin through Jesus Christ Because that may explain why you don't have any sense of desire to pursue the Lord through His Word. Putting your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ is where it begins if you do not know Him personally, intimately, in a relationship. But for others of us who are Christians, the reality is that oftentimes we don't see much growth in part because we're not in our Bibles. We're not getting into the word and taking advantage of the greatest resource that God has given us, the greatest means of growth and maturity, his word. We're not in his word. Maybe you're here this morning and you say, Kempis, I'm just so discouraged. I'm just so discouraged by my struggles and my sins and my weaknesses. It seems like I keep falling over again and again into the same things. But I do love Christ. I do want to follow Him. I have given my life to Him. Can I remind you, brother or sister, you don't come to spend time with God through Jesus Christ because you are worthy of it, but because He's worthy of it. You don't spend time with the Lord because you somehow meet some need in God that He's lacking. You come because He fills you. He ministers to you. We don't come to the Lord because He needs us, but because we need Him. We don't come to the Lord because we're worthy of coming to His throne, but because he's worthy. Amen? And He's made it possible for you to have a relationship with Him, an ongoing, vital relationship, Christian. He's made it possible through the blood of His Son, Jesus Christ, the One who paid for our sins. Now, for others of us, The issue is not so much discouragement, it's spiritual laziness. You're just spiritually lazy. See, some of us as Christians want to accomplish great things for God, but we don't want to do hard work. We don't get into the Word. We don't draw from the fountain of living waters. We're not refreshed daily by the water of the Word. We don't want to work hard. Can I remind you, brother or sister, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you want to be like Jesus, you must get in the Word, study the Word, expose yourself regularly to the Word of God personally and sitting under sound teaching of the Word of God on a regular basis. And may I go even a step further? Be not only a hearer of the Word, but a doer of the Word who applies the truth purposefully and deliberately to your life. Be a person of the book. Be a man of the book. Be a woman of the book if you want to be holy. We study the Bible for personal holiness. And don't ever forget. Don't ever forget that it's always by grace. Amen? Always. Even in all of your efforts even in all of your hard work and your diligence to exposing yourself to God's word, if you see Jesus in you and other people see Jesus in you, it's because God did it, not you. Right? I mean, that should bring us great comfort. Because we're always going to, as believers, be progressively growing, right? But when we see growth in leaps and bounds or little steps of growth, it's always the grace of God. It's always the spirit bearing his fruit of the spirit, not us. Study the Bible for personal holiness. Finally, study the Bible for ministry service. Study the Bible for ministry service. There's no such thing as a bench warmer Christian, okay? Every Christian is to be actively serving. Every Christian is to be a highly committed participant. It might look very different in, in all of our lives, depending on where we're at in stages of life, yes, seasons of life, but all of us are to be actively serving, using our spiritual gifts, our abilities, our talents for the edification of God's people to the glory of God. There are no bench warmer. Christians. And here we're reminded that if you want to be useful, fruitful, you must get in the word. Look at verse 16 again. All scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Why? What's the goal? Verse 17, so that the man, or we might say the woman of God, may be adequate equipped for every good work i love this i love this i'll tell you some of the worst places i ever worked workplaces were places that had high expectations a high demand for productivity in that work environment but they didn't provide you the resources to be able to do that isn't that the worst thing to have for a work environment to say we expect this kind of productivity from you and they don't resource you or equip you. Can I remind us this morning? God will never do that to us, He will never do that to us. Whatever good works He has called us to do, brothers and sisters, He has adequately equipped us through His Word, abundantly provided us with the resources that we need. Notice in verse 17 adequate. That word means whole, complete, capable. We might translate it competent. Competent for every good work. And the, and the next word there in verse 17 takes it even a step further. He says, equipped for every good work. That means, that's an intensified form of the word, by the way. Thoroughly equipped. Thoroughly supplied. Fully equipped. Sufficiently supplied is the idea. For what? For the good works that God wants from us. Did you know, Christian, that God has good works for you to fulfill? He has called you to do good works. Here's the glory of it. Ready? It's His work of saving you alone. You did nothing, not even one good work. It's all based upon the substitutionary sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ that you receive salvation. It's all God's work. But now, as the fruit of that, He wants us to do good works for His glory. To display the gospel of His Son. That people might see the transforming power of Christ in our lives. Ephesians 2.10 says that we are His workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for or unto good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are not saved on the basis of anything that we do. But listen, we are saved unto good works for the glory of God. Titus 3.14, Paul wrote to Titus, Our people, Christians, Titus, must also learn to engage in good deeds, to meet pressing needs, so that they will not be unfruitful. The last thing our Heavenly Father wants is for us as His children, Christians, to be comfortable or passive, to not be about using the spiritual gifts that He's given us for the edification of His people and the glory of God. Our Father wants us to be fruitful people. And He's given us all the resources to do that. Study the Bible for ministry service. God wants us to be people of the book that we might be useful to him for ministry to one another, brothers and sisters. Now, there are some hindrances and some obstacles, I think, that get in the way of us getting into the word and therefore then being useful and fruitful for Christ. I think one of those things that may become a hindrance or obstacle for us is hidden and known unrepentant sin. Hidden or known unrepentant sin takes our desire away for for, uh, for the Word of God. It quenches the spirit. It quenches our desire for His Word. Unrepentant known sin renders us fruitless and useless for Christ. This is why First Peter two one says this. Therefore, Christian, therefore, putting aside all malice or wickedness and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation, if you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. James one twenty one. Therefore, putting aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness, In humility, receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. In other words, you want to have appetite for the word. Then don't let that appetite be spoiled by the junk food of known unrepentant sin in your life. Sin, brothers and sisters, spoils our appetite for the pure milk of the word. So if you know that you're there this morning, Christian. Christian confess your sin to the Lord. There is forgiveness at the cross of Jesus Christ, a reminder of that again and again for the believer, that God has already dealt with your sin on the cross. But we strip ourselves of the wonderful benefits of our salvation when we live in known unrepentant sin. And we don't confess that to the Lord. And you can't expect to be to have a hunger for the scriptures or to be useful and fruitful with joy and ministry when you're living in sin and patterns of sin. By the way, this unrepentant sin can also be in our relationships with one another. When we harbor bitterness towards another believer, when we don't, when we withhold forgiveness from others, when we fail to seek reconciliation with someone that we know that we've sinned against in some capacity or another. You can't expect to, be, to have a, a hunger for the Word of God and to be useful and fruitful if you're, you're living in irreconcil- unreconciled relationships. God wants us to make those right with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Here's another one that becomes an obstacle for ministry usefulness. Laziness and slothfulness. We mentioned this earlier. Paul tells Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved unto God, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of God. Paul says to Timothy, you want to be fruitful? Be a diligent student of the word of God. Make every effort to cut the word straight, Timothy. Here's another one, ready? Spiritual arrogance And pride will suck the appetite away from you for the Word of God. Spiritual arrogance and pride, an unteachable attitude that says, you know, I know a lot already. I've already sort of arrived. I got a lot to impart to others, to offer to others. Put me in there, coach. And you stop being a learner, you stop cultivating a teachable heart. Hear me, some of you don't have much of an appetite for God's word and are very unfruitful because you're proud. Because you become arrogant. You stopped being a learner, you stopped being a teachable person. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Love edifies. I would caution you If your knowledge of God's Word is not leading you to a deeper worship of God, greater humility, a greater passionate love for God and others, it doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter. Isaiah 66 and verse 2 is so pertinent for us. If we're struggling with pride and arrogance, what kind of person does God delight in? It says there in Isaiah 66, verse 2, To him, God delights in him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. Humble, contrite spirit before the Lord is what honors the Lord. Stay teachable. Stay humble, brother and sister, and God will use you. God will use you with humility or in humility. Beloved, now more than ever, we need to be people of the book. Amen? People of the book who are shaped by the Word of God. There's power in the Word both for ourselves personally and for standing firm in the face of such a hostile, hateful world in which we are living in as believers. I love what C.H. Spurgeon once said about the power of the Word of God in the life of the Christian. Listen to what he says. The Word of God is like a lion you don't have to defend a lion all you have to do is let the lion loose and the lion will defend itself end quote i love that get in the word let the lion loose in your heart in your soul and out in the world amen let's pray father god help us to be people of the book People who recognize the rich treasure that we have in your word, help us to get in the word, to read it, meditate upon it, memorize it, and that it would lead, Father, not to arrogance or to spiritual pride in our hearts and lives, but to greater love for you and greater love for one another, and greater love for the lost. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Scripture quotations taken from the New American Standard Bible, copyright by the Lockman Foundation.